Hello, podcast fans. Adam Carolla here. I'm leading the fight against patent trolls who are threatening this medium. It's not about me. It's about the podcast you're listening to right now. If I go down, this show could be next. So visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll for more information on how you can keep podcasting alive. Thank you and mahalo. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Proops. Yeah, hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proophouse takes to the ether here from the Slubrious Compound of Western Hollywood's most intimate club, the one that's the most humid across the street from the pleasure chest here uh, in the delightful month of, uh, what month do we now? Slarch. Uh, we're back again with the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, here at the Bar Lubitsch here in West Hollywood, where it's awfully humid in this back room tonight, is it not? There's sort of a Cambodian killing field swamp thing going on back here, uh, keeping in our Oscar fame. Uh, which was an awesome movie, and, uh, but it is a little humid. I, I wonder if we could get them to turn the air conditioning on at some point, uh, and then when they do, it'll get so blustery cold in here that it'll be like Arctic, uh, Ice Station Zebra, and Howard Hughes will be on my ass eating a bowl of banana nut ice cream and watching Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> Thank you for the two people who remember the movie Ice Station Zebra. Ice I, I, I Station Zebra is, is uh, only notable for two things. Howard Hughes, the uh, insane millionaire, in, in the days when insane billionaires uh, lived at the top of casinos in Las Vegas as opposed to living in the halls of power, um, uh, w- watched apparently Ice Station Zebra every night and ate Baskin-Robbins banana nut ice cream and didn't touch anything. He used tissues to pull everything with. If you've ever seen the movie Ice Station Zebra, torpid doesn't begin. It, it's a dead dog on the porch, okay? There's, it is really... It's a banana slug waiting for you. That movie goes nowhere. I don't. Patrick McGowan's in it, and so is, I believe, Rock Hudson. Uh, and it, it takes place in the Arctic. Okay, first of all, boo. All right, boo. Uh, there's one good movie ever that took place in the Arctic, and it was called White Dawn, and it had Warren Oates, um, Randy Quaid, and Louis Gossett Jr. as three people wrecked in a whaling expedition who end up with a bunch of Inuits. And uh, they live with them, and they, they have group sex and shit. It's fucking awesome. It's a really good movie. Uh, and that one was really weird and completely obscure. Uh, but if one day at the Cine Family, we won't be showing White Dawn. <laughs> But Ice Station Zebra is exactly what you think it is. It, it parks itself, and then it dies in front of you. And then it's frozen, and then you have to thaw the fucker out on the way home. It's not worth it. Uh, Howard Hughes, people don't remember anymore, but there was also a movie called Melvin and Howard uh, that I think Jonathan Demme made, where Jason Robards played Howard Hughes, and he blessed you. And uh, he, he was often a gag in 60s uh, and early 70s television shows. Um, a, a, a scruffy person would show up in a scene, and they'd go, I'm Howard Hughes, and that was always was a big funny joke. Um, now, if you had a billionaire show up on a TV show, they would be like, I'm here to take over the network. No, for real. Uh, and that would be the whole show. And then the screen would go blank and then it would come back up again with a giant dollar sign whirling inside a swastika. And then uh, <laughs> Jamie Dimon or Lloyd Blankfein or one of those people would come out and go, my penis is worth more alive than you are dead. And then it would go into a whole big thing about it. But the point is, I'm getting ahead of myself. <clears throat> Excuse me. My diphtheria is so awesome tonight. <laughs> There's two z- diseases I like to bring back from the past. One is dengue fever. Well, that's not that from the past, but one is a t- a tuberculosis, but I prefer to call it consumption because it makes it sexier. Uh, if I have consumption, then I can fan myself and then later quote from the classics when I get in a gunfight with Johnny Ringo. 
Uh, and the other is uh, diphtheria, which no one seems to get anymore. More's the pity. <laughs> I always wanted to see someone with rickets because how are you going to see people walk that way? You know what I mean? I mean, like, Aerosmith invited you to, but really, if you had rickets... <laughs> Uh, walk out way he's got rickets um, you can write me uh, this show's going to be super super fast tonight but before we get going and we should start at any moment here um, I want to say welcome to everyone who's listening uh, out there in Poopcast land thank you uh, we've had a couple of uh, extra special extracurricular pardon me very uh, different uh, Proopcast the last two we had one from the uh, the Fortress of Proopitude or as I in my uh, high unpronounceable words call it the Porpoise of Fruipitude <laughs> We recorded from the Porpoise of Fruititude, and uh, then last week we did a live uh, chat show at Joe's Pub in New York City, and we had uh, the fabulous Lipsinka, the playwright Mark Crowley, and uh, uh, Tony um, Visconti, the fabulous record producer, and I want to thank everyone for listening to those ones. Um, I know we've been uh, running out of bounds here, but hey, I'm unpredictable in my movements, and... Uh, I'm a rebel and I've never been any good just because he doesn't do what everybody else does. That's no reason why you can't share poops. Um, so uh, uh, I appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to listen to those ones. But the, the one in uh, New York, I really had a good time because um, uh, Lip Sync, we've known for years. And if I, I have a letter here uh, in my hand uh, from the Chancellor of Germany. And it says, uh, let's see, it says, uh, this is from Ed. Ed writes me, and you can write me at uh, fanmail4greg at gmail.com, and I answer your emails. And he writes, um, get, uh, I loved how Lip Sync fit into your program. He was your band leader and your Ed McMahon. Uh, that'll give you an idea of how old Ed is. Uh, <laughs> at my age, at least. Ed, Ed McMahon hasn't been a regular as a sidekick on TV since 1992, ladies and gentlemen. In case anyone was counting uh, and wanted to feel older than they are. I, however, remember Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon uh, was the host of also a, a TV show in the, in the 80s called Star Search that I did appear on. Uh, when I lived in San Francisco, I was, uh, uh, we were trying to be in show business and we were trying to be a stand-up comedian. And I came down here and I, I auditioned for a Star Search and a very, very nice man named Gary Mann, who's been an executive at uh, myriad companies and entities down here. Uh, I auditioned. He, at that point, he was working for Star Search. And I did my set and he came up to me and went, I have been authorized by the executives of Star Search to invite you to be on the show, Star Search. And I was like, I accept your authorization. <laughs> If you don't remember the premise of the show Star Search, it was like, uh, I think it started in the radio in the 30s. It was called Major Bo's Amateur Hour. And then it was Ted Max Amateur Hour after that. And then it was The Gong Show. And uh, now they call it The Voice. And what it was, was, uh, uh, I'm turning into Andy Griffith here. What it were... Uh, what, what were football? Uh, what it were were uh, um, it was a bunch of different categories, and this is what made Star Search so awesome. Uh, it was comedians, singers, and then fantastic and bands. Uh, and famously, the most famous band to ever come off of Star Search, I believe, is a band called Sawyer Brown. Who, if we were in Branson tonight, everyone would have just cheered. <laughs> As it is, you don't know who it is, and that's okay, too. Uh, Sawyer Brown wore planters hats because they're more racist than regular country. Uh, because if you wear just a regular cowboy hat, that's like, hey, I like the Wild West, and I like chewing tobacco, and, uh, uh, and when I go into town, I, I try not to beat all the hoes because i got to come back. I'm a repeat customer. But a planters hat says, there's going to be whooping. So... 
Oh, I forgot we're in L.A. and everybody's all sensitive and shit. If, if we's in Louisiana, everyone will be laughing. Uh, are you going to say we's all night? Yeah, maybe, maybe I is and maybe I ain't. <laughs> so I did a star search. There was a comedian category. There was uh, uh, musicians. There was singers. Uh, there was dankers. There was a children's. There was a children's category. The little children would come out like Jean Benet style. And, and uh, my, I remember my line was, um, I, I, was uh, I wasn't allowed to say a line. They cut a line out of my act because it was too controversial. And I said, but there's five-year-old girls with paint on their nipples doing the Humpty Dance to Funky Cold Medina. Um, <laughs> How come I can't say my line? And uh, I think, what was my other line? Ed McMahon. No one ever saw Ed on the set of Star Search. And also, Ed was kind of loose in the bag, if you know what I mean. Like, Ed wasn't always necessarily as sober as a judge when he recorded the Star Search programs. Uh, and because he'd go like, here, next week, I'm going to have a happy peps. Happy peps. Happy peps. Happy Happy and uh, I said there was just a, a trail of Marlboro cartons and Cuddy Sark bottles leading back to a trailer where he was laying supine with an Ivy uh, with an Elvis decanter stuck up his butt that he walked on his hands so there was always booze coursing through all the vital organs. Now that I'm remembering the routine, it's a goddamn funny routine. It's, I think it's from 91 or 90. Anyway, I went down and did Star Search and we recorded out in the valleys. They put us at the Sportsman's Lodge, which was the best. Yeah, back when it was the Sportsman's Lodge, baby. It was next door to Jerry's. Uh, and the, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it ever so briefly again. In the car park, parking lot, uh, was a giant uh, 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 um, bus trailer thingy thingy uh, like a country music star would have. And on the side, the Tammy Wynette band. And my wife and I were like, are you fucking kidding me? So we started walking the halls of the Sportsman Lodge, which is set in a rectangle. And yes, we found her room. And yes, her door was open. And we just stood in the doorway of Tammy Wynette's room and looked at her. And she was sitting on the sofa and she was with her family and shit and she like waved at us and we we're like bye and then we fucked off and that was it but it was cool it was really cool uh, sometimes it's hard to be a woman giving all your love to just one man he'll have some good times you'll have some hard times them things you don't understand but if you love him you him she never said all the letters and the words at the very last at the very last and it's uh, Stand By Your Man is one of the greatest country songs of all time at the end you'll notice she goes Stand By Man like it doesn't nothing there's really doesn't say the words at the end there's so much emotion um, I don't wanna play house cause house makes mommy cry oh fuck yeah and her hair was bitching. She's, she looked like if Barbara Stanwyck was a senator. You know what I mean? In the 1800s. That's what Tammy Wynette looked like. She had this awesome white hair and this regal nose. And then when we lived in England uh, some time ago, um, she did a song with them. Um, uh, uh, what was the name of that group? Eat. KLF. KLF. And, uh, and the song, if you remember KLF, uh, did a... Uh, the, their, their theme song was they're justified and they're ancient and they drive an ice cream van and uh, this was the 90s we had issues uh, and one of the lyrics uh, so Tammy came out and she was in the song with them and KLF was one of these groups they burned a million pounds once in public as a to show that money is ephemeral and you know everything is everything <coughs> but Tammy Wynette 
they got her to sing the song and she had never heard of them or anything and if you ever watch the video in fact you can go on YouTube and watch it tonight um, it's Tammy Wynette with KLF and they put her in a little crown and shit and they have her dressed as a queen and whatever and she goes well they're justified and they're ancient and they come from Moo Moo Land <laughs> she said KLF called me they said Tammy stand by your jam oh yeah fuck yeah it's very good uh and uh, she, she, always, she always had that feeling like she could have been Andrew Jackson, you know what I mean, if she'd been a man, without the genocide. <laughs> Tammy Wynette would have never made the Cherokee Nation move. She'd have gone, that's just awful what they're doing to you. No. Yes, she would have. And then she'd have written a song about it and shit. Cherokee people move so slow. <laughs> yeah, she'd have made it right is what she'd have fucking done. I was reading an article today about Andrew Jackson and how they should take him off the 20 and the guy suggested Harriet Tubman which is an awesome choice except that we've discussed it on the show before and every time they put women on currency the currency fails because the Sacagawea dollar and the Susan B. Anthony dollar evidently men just picked them up and went ah! and just dropped them on the ground and shit my penis so small you know uh, but uh, Andrew Jackson uh, wasn't even popular first of all he hated the, the national bank and he hated currency, paper currency. So if he saw his face on paper currency, Andrew Jackson would be like, dash it all. You know, he'd, he'd pull a dagger at that point and try to fight you because uh, he was fucking hat up. But all that aside, Andrew Jackson had the best hair of any American president. He had awesome country music hair. And you can go online and look up the daguerreotypes and the paintings of him throughout his career. He's the last president to have been in the revolution. He was a teenage prisoner of the British during the Revolutionary War and was tortured by the English. And so he had a lifelong hatred of the English, which is awesome 45, 50 years down the line when you're president and have to deal with the world. Uh, <laughs> He hated the gold standard. He hated his vice president. He hated fucking everyone. He threatened people in public all the time. Two terms. Yeah. Just like Reagan. Two terms. <laughs> Completely incoherent the second term. Uh, and, he, and he moved the Cherokees uh, from uh, their home in Tennessee to nowhere, which is where they ended up living uh, or dying, rather. And then Paul Revere and the Raiders wrote that awesome song. <laughs> They took away our way of life. Bum, 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 bum. The tomahawk and the bowie knife. Um, the bowie knife? <laughs> Wasn't that a white guy from the... Never mind. Never mind. It's rock people writing about history. Uh, and anyways, uh, Andrew Jackson um, uh, does have the best hair. And he had bitch and country music hair. And he, and he did his whole career. Even in his 70s and 80s, he had in country music hair and that's about the best you can say about him um, so uh, getting back to Lip Sync and Ed McMahon uh, Ed McMahon uh, would, was the host of Star Search and there was uh, not only the comedy section of the show and I can't remember anybody there, it, the, the first prize and this is why did you do it Greg why did you denigrate yourself why did you demean yourself uh, in order to be on what was in those days syndicated television first prize was a hundred thousand dollars yeah, which is nothing to fucking sniff at now, much less then in the 1880s when I did the show on steam-powered telly. Uh, sponsored by Milk Duds. We dip them by hand. Um, I'm here at the Dud Factory. And uh, I can't remember the woman I lost to, uh, Leslie Norris. And her opening joke was, uh, my financier, I mean my fiancé, 
And, uh, oh, I fucking killed, 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 killed me. Uh, I won one, and then I lost the second one. Um, I do remember three things about the show. One, uh, there was an acting portion of the show, which they eventually took out, but it was the best part of the show. So aside from a band, because, you know, with a band, the band comes out and they're like, and here they are, Strawberry Nippers! And they come out and they're like, we're long thing that we did, and, and like, boo, yay, whatever, and then it was over. And the judges were always these arcane judges that had once been in show business. We'd be like, he used to manage Snorky from the Banana Splits. Please welcome... <laughs> Pelf Knibnik, you know, and like, huh? And then, so uh, they would have an acting thing. And uh, my friend Larry Brown, Larry Bubbles Brown, the legendary San Francisco comedian, used to do his impression of the acting portion of the Star Search program where he'd go, come, Judith, my love. And uh, then they would actually, they would do, you would do a, a short scene and then they would have to rate your scene and the judges would always write everything and give a reason and whatnot. But one thing they didn't do, like they do on The Voice, is they never stood up and fucking high-fived us and they never stood up and pointed and shit like that. Now judges are part of the fucking show and get up and fucking dry hump the contestants and whatever. <laughs> In those days, they were Jews, and they sat in the crowd in tinted... They sat in... Follow me. They sat in the crowd in tinted shades. That's what they did. They were all named Barry, and they go, I didn't like it. That was it. That was it. No Adam Levine. No one rubbed their fucking sleeve tattoo on me, and I didn't have... Uh, who's the Colombian girl? Shavira. Sh Shavira. Yeah, her. Shakira. Are you joking? Really? You have a name of the cast of the Jungle Book and shit? That was Bagheera. Oh, well, it's close enough. Whenever, whatever. Shakira, that fucking dwarf. She gets out there and she dry humps the contestants and I won't have it. I liked the old American Idol when Paula Abdul would be fucked up on that and they'd have those fake soda pop glasses they would drink out of like they had coke in them or whatever but clearly Paula was just drinking like laudanum or whatever you know she was drinking some sort of Samuel Taylor Coleridge hallucinogenic inducing drink and shit because they'd go down and they go well what did you think and Simon would go well I'm a twat and whatever I say comes out of my ass sideways made of Lego <laughs> like oh isn't that clever and funny that you're a dick and then they get to Paula and Paula go yeah I'm a dilly that was good telly. Jim fucking high five anyone. So I don't remember meeting Ad really, but I remember being backstage and I brought my suit with me. Of course, I had my little suit and I brought it backstage and I brought it back to the costumer and the costumer fucking shot behind me, right? I fucking brought my shit back and like wardrobe people are supposed to, what is the Betty Davis saying uh, all about Eve? The wardrobe lady has two things to do. Carry costumes and iron them wrong, right? <laughs> so I brought my, my suit back and I'm like, can I get my, and the, boom, the door closed on the wardrobe room and I went, okay. So I, because I'd worked in a clothing shop, fired up the steamer fucking put my suit on the rack and started to steam it and a producer walked back and went what the fuck are you doing and I went I'm steaming my suit because the costumer didn't want to talk to me and he and yeah, oh yeah I got her in fucking trouble <laughs> yes I fucking did and fuck you and fuck you I'm an artist I'm an artist and a genius <clears throat> I'm a genius and an artist and I'm sensitive 
And that fucking bitch had one fucking job on the show, and that was to press my shit wrong, and she didn't do it. So bang, bang, bang on her door, fucking a uh, heated conversation inside. Boom, she comes out. I'll do that. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm almost done. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I fucking did. Because I'd worked in enough retail to know how to steam a fucking suit out. Who's him and who? But she fucking finally did it for me and shit. Uh, and then I won the first one and we went to dinner, I remember. And, uh, uh, but it was the fun part was staying at the Sportsman's Lodge because it was so awesome. Now they corporatized it out and fired everybody who worked there. And I don't even know if the Sportsman's Lodge, it's a, but a pale, hollow shell of the one unbelievable Babylonian glory that once strode like Nebuchadnezzar through the hanging gardens of that across the street from Vaughn's in Studio City. Giving you immediate access to 24 hour yogurt. Uh, so Ed McMahon uh, yeah and then later in my career I was asked to go to a party at Ed McMahon's house where we were supposed to provide bondage and witticisms that he was going to collect in a book and later put in the show or something I'm not kidding these are the kind of things you were asked to do in Hollywood once upon a time when you go to a party at Ed McMahon's house what are we supposed to do there just be yourself be charming and then what well anything you say there you know they could use later what <laughs> what am I in the witness fucking protection program fuck you uh, Ed McMahon's in one thing of import ever. Well, fun with Dick and Jane, of course, with George Siegel. But uh, 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 there's a movie called The Incident, and uh, he plays a regular guy trying to get home on the subway. And Martin Sheen and is it Tony Misani or Tony Lobianco uh, play two psychos who get on the subway car and hassle everybody. And there's a gay guy in the car, and they pretend to be like flirt with him. And, and then Brock Peters, the black guy, uh, yeah, Brock Peters flares his nostrils at them. Yeah. And Bo Bridges finally gets up and goes, sit down. And the punks go, Martin Sheen is a punk, fantastic. He's like 34, you know, and the, the great hair, you know. And, the, and he goes, what? And Bo Bridges goes, sit down before I put you down. And so they get in a fight and he beats them up. And then they pull into the station and the transit cops get on and immediately throw Brock Peters to the ground and handcuff him. And that's what made the movie awesome. Because it was real fucking listic. Just to explain it to everyone listening out there, Brock Peters is a black actor. And you'll find he was in To Kill a Mockingbird and many other pictures and spoke at Gregory Peck's uh, funeral. Uh, but he, the, the police came and busted him because they didn't think it could possibly be a white person causing a commotion on a subway train. Uh, but Ed McMahon's in that movie. Um, and yes, Ed McMahon, there we are. He was my band leader, my Ed McMahon. He was funnier than Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon was not known for his native wit. Although, what he could do with a can of dog food. Sometimes the dog comes home and they're hungry. That's when you want some lava. They don't do live ads anymore, and they really should. We do on this show because we're keeping it real. But they, they, they used to do live ads on late night TV and shit. In the middle of the show, Johnny be fucking smoking and shit. And he'd go, Ed, what do you want? And then Ed would go... It's delicious. And he'd open up a fucking tin of dog food and pour it out and a dog would fucking eat it on camera and shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you think I'm lying, kids today. What, it, what does this have to do with my phone? We, we, weren't, we didn't have the individual agency to be douchebags on our own. We had to collectively join a douchebag group uh, was the point of that one. Uh, and now the Tonight Show, uh, what's Jimmy's doing it now? Good for him. Uh, we haven't spoken about the tr crossover because really, why? 
Uh, here's another one that got written to me today. I was on Joe Rogan's show today, and I want to thank Joe Rogan uh, because uh, he is a freak and a seeker and a dude of the highest caliber. And uh, D Harmony wrote me on Twitter and wrote, because I said the Isle of Langerhands, and Joe Rogan went, what's the Isle of Langerhands? And then I realized when I said it, I don't actually know what it is. I know... <laughs> It's a small gland or organ uh, down near the um, uh, below the equator area of men. And someone wrote me because I asked Brian Radban, who's uh, uh, Joe's, you know, partner and, and sidekick and whatnot. And Brian became so bored searching something that had information in it after 30 seconds that he gave up entirely. <laughs> he went, I'll lay your hand. It's something to do with pan- whatever. That was it. That was the whole sentence. I almost got pancreas and then whatever. And then there was a picture of a thing that looked like a weenie and he started laughing and I was like, is that it? And he's like, it looked like a dick. And I was like, all right, I checked out. I'm not, I'm done. I'll have to go look it up on my own. Uh, anyway, D Harmony wrote me and said, if you didn't find out the islets of Langerhans, I thought they were the Isle of Langerhans. Are they the islets? If they're the islets, then I'm going to stop buying a dinghy. If it's the Isle, I'm going to spend the weekend and I'm going to expect pancake breakfast. Uh, you know, there should be a and b if it's an Isle. If it's an islet... Mm, not so much. Maybe a palapa. Not even a water fountain. <laughs> the islets of Langerhans are responsible for insulin and glucagon. 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 Glucagon? Glucagon. G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N. Someone just went, gin. <laughs> let's, let's play another hand. Hooray for that one. Uh, regarding the last show with uh, Tony. Now, first of all, if you don't know who uh, Mark Crowley is, Mark Crowley wrote a play called um, The Boys in the Band. And why is that significant, Greg? Well, uh, no one had really written a play about uh, a bunch of gay men at a party who were openly gay before. And this is, uh, let's see, 1967, 68, I'm guessing, 69. And then the picture got made by William Friedkin. William, excuse me, William Friedkin's next picture subsequent to that was The French Connection. And... Uh, Boys in the Band ran uh, for a thousand performances off Broadway, and then it was a movie, and then it got a revival several years ago. And Mart wrote uh, uh, several other plays uh, to go with that as well, as well as being a producer. And this is what he didn't get to on the show, but Mart produced Heart to Heart while it was a tele. Oh fuck yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah, he did. All I have is two words to say: Stephanie and p- 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 Powers. Um, <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. That's all I have to say about that. Um, in any case, uh, uh, someone wrote me about last week's show because it, we went off the rails. Normally, it's just meme and all, 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 all glucogizing, but uh, that one was interviews. And uh, Judy wrote me and wrote, a show, a show free from sports references, exclamation point. Hooray, exclamation point. Well, Judy, let's just take care of those exclamation points right now. Then she wrote, best Judy. Well, thank you, Judy. Or if you were in Fleetwood Mac in the 70s, Julia Judy. Julia Judy, please come home. Nobody? No, I didn't think so. It's always me. Uh, and uh, thank you, Judy. I'm, I'm glad you didn't, um, I, I, that we didn't have any sports references. People write me from different countries and they go, I have no idea what you're talking about with the baseball, but you speak of it with such passion that I like it. And I know they're lying. What they're saying is, it's okay that you talk about it because there's other parts that I like. And then my other favorite thing that people write me is, I don't agree with everything you say, but I still enjoy your show. Meaning, what, you're at home sharpening a fucking spike to put on your helmet? (laughs) 
because you're about get ready to build a Negro barricade around your property and shit? Is that what I'm getting from you, young fucking Republican Nazi ass? You mean you don't have room to let people mildly disagree with you? I do. It's just funner to characterize them that way. General Pickett, I believe you can take that union emplacement. Now, you wouldn't be impugning my chivalry, would you, sir? Uh, no, you're, of course, uh, allowed to think whatever you want. I encourage free thinking, and that I've said on the show a bajillion times, um, don't believe anything you see on TV and don't believe anything you read ever on the Internet or in the newspapers, and especially don't believe what I'm saying because I have a huge agenda as well. Um, I want you to uh, listen and then uh, make up your own mind about stuff, so it's okay that you don't agree with everything I say, but consider this. <laughs> What are the things you find yourself disagreeing with me about? I talk a lot about how women should have unlimited rights uh, to equality, to health care, to everything in the world, that there's unbelievable economic disparity in this country that has never been redressed, that the military-industrial complex uh, that runs this entire nation that takes its orders from the corporations and the 12 white guys who live in a room and burn uh, in, with, with green uh, shades on the lamps and those fucking uh, comfy uh, you know, racist chairs... Those people who are making those decisions and shit never listen to music and have no joy in their lives and think that they're put upon. What is it you're disagreeing with me about is what I'd like to fucking know. At a certain point, are you like, you know what? People should be able to be rich and just do whatever and shit. <laughs> you know, women are okay, but they're high-peeping voices. They're uteruses. <laughs> just consider... Um, I've said things on the show and I still will say them on the show like there's no reason for any war to take place. Wars are fought. Thank you. <clears throat> between giant fake entities that pretend and purport to represent the rest of us. The poor are sent to war and there's other people. They're done for financial gain. There is no financial gain in any war for any of us as the Iraq and Afghanistan wars have shown us over the last uh, 12 and a half, 13 years here. There's nothing in it for uh, the regular guy and gal here in the United States. And also, let's put paid rest to the notion that if you work hard enough, you can get what you deserve in this country. If you work hard enough, you can get a cold bowl of fuck shoved up your ass is what you can get. There's plenty of people working two and three jobs who aren't going to get fuck all. What it boils down to is if you got, you get. If you don't got, you know got. Okay? That's what fucking America's made of. So let's stop lying to each other and saying that there's a level playing field and that we're in a post-racial society and that men and women are equal and that women don't face any fucking uphill battles and that there shouldn't be any uh, consideration for people who are minorities or not men and that white men don't have the fucking ball. And when I say white men, I I mean, men, men. Uh, maybe there's a couple men of color with lots of fucking money. Oh, but the richest person in the world is a billionaire from Mexico and shit. Hooray, you knew that. Um, <laughs> don't fucking disagree with me unless you're right, okay? So while you're listening out there disagreeing with me right now, no! <laughs> but again, think whatever you like. We're in America... Yeah, that one. What's, what's the line in uh, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee? 
John Savage, uh, uh, you remember the actor John Savage. They're, they're having a conflagration in the neighborhood. You've seen the movie Die, Do the Right Thing, right? It's in the ghetto, and, and, uh, and, and, or it's in Bed Store in New York or whatever. And John Savage is a white guy who's the first yuppie to buy a building in the neighborhood. And he rolls up on a bicycle with a Boston Celtics jersey, okay? Let's just consider the symbolism. So all the black guys roll up to him, and the guy goes, who said you could wear a fucking shirt like that in my neighborhood? And John Savage is drinking from a bottle of milk and goes, it's a free country, isn't it? And one of the guys goes, I should fuck you up for saying something stupid shit like that. And that's how I've always thought. We hear this stuff over and 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 over again on television and everywhere. Mike Huckabee comes on or Sarah Palin or whoever it is, Sean Hannity, and goes, we derive our laws from God. The Constitution was written by the Lord. and No, it wasn't. A simple fucking peremptory third grade remedial review of American history will reveal that everyone's rights were to be trammeled from the outset of the country by land owning white guys wearing wigs who had slaves. They went out of their way to keep women and black people out of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution to make sure that there was indentured servitude and slavery and inequality. How do you know this, Greg? Because it's the truth. I'm not making it up. God did write shit. God doesn't have a quill pen that he can put to parchment in the 18th century. There is a separation of church and state. It's included in everything. James Monroe wrote the Constitution, okay? Jefferson wrote the Declaration with other people collaborating. No higher deity ever cared or was concerned about America's founding or destiny at any point. And if you believe that higher deities that live on another astral plane that control the movements of the spheres in the universe have a vested interest in what happens to the destiny of of a particular country on the planet Earth in the 21st century, you're a lunatic, okay? <laughs> now, believe what you want to believe. When everybody runs for president, it happened last time and it happened the time before, they all go, the Lord told me to run. That's scary, okay? It's scary that we allow people to say that in this day and age. But then again, there's lots of places in the world where, you know, uh, things are even uh, more horrible than they are now. And no, I'm not going to talk about them tonight. We're going to move on. Uh, if you want to write me, it's smartestatofspecialthing.com. Uh, that's for questions. If you want to write me poisonally, it's fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. We have t-shirts. I don't know if there's any kittens. Evidently, people have been whining a lot about the kittens. We'll have to reorder those. Uh, coming up, we'll be at, uh, we're here tonight, uh, South by Southwest. That'll be over by the time we do this, won't it? I'll have been at South by Southwest, and I'll have worn a giant name tag. There's one thing about South by Southwest that you can't deny. You're going to get more emails from more people about more bullshit than any other fucking thing that you participate in. And when I say you, I mean me. And when I say me, I mean me. Uh, I do a lot of gigs. And usually you just show up at places and they're like, okay, hi, you're here, go. Uh, at South by Southwest, I've received over 5 billion emails. I, I don't have to go, by the way, in case you're wondering, and this is post facto. I don't have to go to where most people go to pick up their credential. I can go to this other place. Yeah. And no humans can come and see the show. People keep writing me and going, I have to buy $600 credential to come see your fucking podcast. And I'm like, yeah, the prices have gone up a little. It's like a Dodger game now. You can't take your family anymore. 
It's $500 for a hot dog. But that'll have been over, and that'll have been fun. So hooray for me there. Uh, then we'll be doing the set list at the Telegraph Brewery in Santa Barbara on the 15th of March. No longer at the Avelina Wine Bar. Don't ask me what happened. I got an email regarding it. We've moved to the Telegraph Beer Brewery. Evidently, the wine bar people were too snotty. I don't know. I don't know why. They, they didn't want to do the set list there, but we're doing it at the Telegraph Brewery. Uh, and Santa Barbara's worth a trip anyway because uh, there's a couple places you're going to want to go in Santa Barbara. The Mission, because it's exquisitely kept. It's the most beautiful of all the missions, although I love San Luis Obispo. Uh, and uh, the missions are great fun because if you want to see places where Indians died in their numbers of smallpox and venereal disease, it's a great place to go. And two, it's an awesome place to see 18th century colonial California architecture, which you don't really get to see very much here uh, in Los Angeles. Or you, for that matter, you don't get to see uh, four years ago colonial architecture in Los Angeles anymore <laughs> because there's a mini mansion built on that old bookstore that you used to go to. Uh, uh, we'll be there. Let's see. Uh, uh, there's that. And then there's uh, La Superica, which is a hamburger stand that's been painted turquoise. Yay! And they make their own uh, tortillas and the beans come with bacon in them and they are to die for. And if you eat enough of them all at once, you will die there because the ba- you can feel the bacon congealing. In your aorta. Uh, the 19th, will be back here at Bar Lubitsch. That'll be an 8 o'clock show. So please, no loitering outside. Uh, the 31st, uh, the 24th of uh, March, will be at the Nerdmel uh, showroom over on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, on the 31st of March, we'll be over at the Cine Family with the Greg Poops Film Club this Friday, which will, of course, already have come out. Uh, we're going to be releasing our... Um, our film from the Greg Poops Film Club, we showed uh, Sexy Beast some months ago. And Sexy Beast is a tremendous picture from 2001. I can't remember the name of the director. He's a commercial director. And he made that movie with Scarlett Johansson that's going to be uh, out. It's a sci-fi film. It was at festivals. No one remembers his name. He's English. In any case, Ben Kingsley is in it and uh, Ray, Ray Winstone and the, um, uh, the amazing... Uh, uh, Ian McShane plays uh, Teddy, uh, Mr. Magic. That movie, Sexy Beast clips the fuck along. There's no question about that. For gangster, for British gangster films, you know, you can watch a lot of British gangster films. Sean Cullen, the comedian, uh, used to do it a tremendous bit where he, he would do the British gangster and we would always do it on the bus uh, with all the Who's Line guys. We'd go, you fucking toilet. <laughs> Okay, you fucking come into my fucking right? Like that's all British gangster films, but Sexy Beast really uh, is is a, a zesty little film, and it's not long, baby. One thing you may have noticed about Greg Proof's Film Club, and by the way, thank you for listening to it. Uh, we've had a lot of listeners, and it's been fantastic. We put it up on SoundCloud, which seems to work quite well, and it's on iTunes as well. We're only going to have one every <coughs> couple of weeks because I don't want to run out of pictures. Um, we are only showing one picture a month, so I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, uh, uh, every picture that we show on the Greg Proof Films Club is under two hours. I don't show any five-hour. No, we're not going to show, um, sadly, uh, Lawrence of Arabia or Dr. Zhivago or any Tarkovsky uh, because uh, it, it, it's too long, I think, to make people sit uh, in a theater. But uh, Sexy Beast is maybe 90 minutes. I think Annie Hall is almost not 80 it's literally like 77 minutes long and therefore perfect uh, as I said when I showed Annie Hall let's pretend Woody Allen stopped existing the day after this movie was released and we'll all enjoy it a lot better uh, we're going to be showing on the 31st at the Cine Family The Wonder Boys uh, which is a tremendous picture by um, and I just dropped Curtis Hansen uh, made it um, on the novel by Michael Chabon and Michael Douglas and uh, um, oh, cats! Who's uh, 
Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is fantastic in it. Uh, the woman is uh, married to one of the Coen brothers. Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand plays the wife in it. Yeah. Wonder Boys is very funny. And if you... I love Michael Douglas. I'm a huge Michael Douglas fan um, because I, I think his brand of assholitude is superb in the movies. This is the movie where he plays a stoner intellectual. So if you've never seen the Wonder Boys, it's really worth it because he doesn't do his usual. I'll cut your fucking balls off. It's not that one. In this movie, he's like, yeah, um, you've eaten a lot of donuts. <laughs> it's quite good. Uh, and then uh, that'll be the 31st. April 2nd, we'll be back here at Bar Lubitsch. Uh, the 17th through the 20th, will be at the San Jose Improv. The 17th will be the podcast. The 24th through the 26th is up in the air. We might be in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We might be in Sacramento. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> Girl, you're everywhere that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, and then the 30th of uh, April will be at the Up Theater in Chicago. Uh, we're working on a Paris date. We'll see if that happens. On the 16th and 17th of May, we'll be in Helsinki, Finland, at the Arctic Circle Comedy Festival. The 22nd will be in Amsterdam at the Theater de Nes. The 26th of May, we'll be at the Hay Festival in Wales. Also, if you want to buy my uh, comedy special... Live at Musso and Frank. We shot it live at Musso and Frank. Musso and Frank is an awesome restaurant here in Hollywood uh, where they have flannel cakes up until 2 p.m., I think. Uh, breakfast starts at 11 because Musso and Frank understands that mornings are harsh. <laughs> Sometimes your shit can't be pulled together till about 11. And I've had the flannel cakes there. And yeah, I had a side of hash browns with it because I wanted to carbo load because later I was going to run in the L.A. Marathon and shit. <laughs> I would get the flannel cakes. I had waited years to get them. Normally I got, this was my order, and, and Jennifer's order was always the petit filet and an avocado salad. But I would get the petit filet, steak fries, because I like the big thick ones. And then I'll say, excuse me, I'm a bit of a gourmet. Do you have any A1 sauce? Um, <laughs> get a martini, uh, because uh, Ruben behind the bar makes the best martinis in the world. They put them um, in a little milkshake container thing. I've talked about it on the show before because they, so the, the, the spill off, they make more than you can put in a martini glass. So you get the extra like you would in a milkshake and that's the best. If there's any greater gift, it's extra booze. So you can order it. Go to gregproops.com. It's four ninety nine. If you type in the word proops, P-R-O-O-P-S, it's $4. $4. I don't ask you for money to come and see me here. I don't ask you for money to download my shows. So I'm asking you for $4 to buy a one-hour comedy special. Is it funny? Fuck yeah. There's like a 25-minute story about taking math. It's fucking funny. I don't just fucking get up and do shitty shit. It's funny. It has its moments. Let me put it that way. Did you make it up? Some of it. Some of it I made up on the day, I'll be honest. I, I smoked part of a joint, I had a piece of pizza, and I had a martini, and I did the show, okay? I mean, I don't write down every goddamn syllable. What am I, fucking Seinfeld and shit? Uh, this person wrote me, Ross Whitman wrote me, and said, uh, oh, because we were talking about, uh, as I said, you could write me at uh, smartestspecialthing.com uh, and someone wrote me two weeks ago and wrote uh, Ian wrote me hello Greg hi Ian oh uh, what how are you good I'm all right I'm in the, I'm in the middle of your question uh, what's your favorite first person account from classical history and I I gave several uh, I said Bernard Diaz uh, 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 the conquest of New Spain uh, the the diary or whatever that's called of the Cabeza de Vaca excuse me 
Someone wrote me, and I don't know who they were. They said Xenophon, Xenophon's account of the invasion of the Caspian by uh, uh, the Greek forces uh, some two or 3,000 years ago. Some people consider it the first history book. Uh, and we've talked about it on the show before because Xenophon's come up. But uh, that is a first-person history account from way in the way back. Uh, I found a, a website today called eyewitness2history.com. And they're very short pieces, but it's like uh, an officer that was at Custer's Last Stand, uh, Fort Sumter, uh, being tortured by uh, in the Middle Ages. There's a few in there. Um, but a cat wrote me, uh, and when I say a cat, I mean a man. Uh, Ross Whitman wrote me and said, one of the most relied upon first-person classical works is Josephus' history of the revolt in Judea. He was a survivor, meaning he was a slippery bugger who changed sides more often than he changed clothes. He was Jewish, but he wrote uh, this book, uh, a Josephus' book is often cited in many, many history books of Latin history because it is a first-person account. So it's reasonably, I don't know if the word accurate, but at least it's from the time. It's not written hundreds of years after the fact. Mm. Like the Bible, as someone said in the crowd. The Bible uh, is sort of pieced together after the fact. And they refused to uh, admit a bunch of things in the final version of the Bible, like that there were women apostles and that um, uh, maybe uh, a bunch of white guys didn't do everything. But the point is this. Uh, Josephus uh, changed, changed sides many times uh, and he was there for um, the revolt as they say in Judea uh, uh, many different uh, Roman generals went into uh, Judea and tried to squash the place of course there's the famous battle on Masada uh, there's the giant arch uh, that's next to the Colosseum that's basically a, a, a depiction of the pillage uh, of Judea because it has them, uh, the Roman soldiers carrying menorahs over their heads and stuff like that um, he was a slippery bugger, so he tends not to play favorites. He's one, uh, IIRC, of the only historical confirmations we have of the existence of the historical Jesus, Joshua Bar Joseph. Uh, I think, uh, although his name wouldn't have been Jesus, would it? Because that's a Greek name, and that came on after Ishwa or something like that, probably. Uh, I think Graves used his writings, Robert Graves, he means, as the model of the gossipy letters Claudius and his buddy Herod Agrippa trade. If you've ever read I, Claudius, and then uh, Claudius the God, um, uh, Claudius who's the grandson of Augustus and uh, uh, the brother of Germanicus, who's uh, a very popular general indeed, um, <coughs> excuse me, becomes emperor when uh, 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 Caligula is assassinated and they find him hiding behind a curtain. And this is all quite true in Roman history. And he's about 50-something. And they go, look, it's, uh, it's his uncle. And like the, the legions right there, the soldiers go, you're the emperor now. And they kind of vote him emperor right then and there. But because he's part of the royal family, uh, he becomes emperor. And he was emperor for 15, 16 years. Had two insane wives, uh, the second of which, Messalina, was, um, slept with everyone in Rome. And in any case, uh, he went to school with Herod Agrippa, who's the um, uh, grandson of Herod the Great, the one you hear so much about in the Bible. And Herod the Great and Herod Agrippa were not Jewish. Um, they were sort of installed into the throne of Judea and whatnot. But the letters in the book, uh, uh, Claudius the God and I, Claudius, are very funny between the two of them. They call each other by their schoolboy names and all that shit. So thank you for your letter, uh, Ross. I believe I've lost the entire L.A. crowd here. <laughs> we're not talking about driving, so... They get bored. Uh, 
Let's see. Dear Mr. Proops, this is from, oh, this one you'll really like. Ray Stewart wrote me, a.k.a. Ray Stewart II at IMDb and IBDB. And yes, I did go look him up. Ray Stewart II has credits in there. Uh, Ray Stewart uh, wrote me because uh, this was a question that was from two weeks ago. Uh, hi, Greg from Martin. Hi, Martin. Um, how are you? I'm okay. It seems I'm, I'm on antibiotics. It seems like you've seen every noteworthy musical act from the 60s to the 80s. What's your biggest regret in terms of gigs you didn't see? And I said my biggest regret was Johnny Cash and Ray Charles uh, and Frank, that I didn't see them. But I also, I've never seen Aretha Franklin, and I need to see her. I did see Ella Fitzgerald, and I took my wife to see Ella Fitzgerald, and I've told that story on the show before. Uh, when I saw Ella Fitzgerald, and I'm going to repeat this part because it's so fucking good. I took my wife to see Ella Fitzgerald when she was quite old, but I saw her when I was a teenager with my mom and dad, and... Um, she was with Count Basie's orchestra, and Count Basie had Eddie Lockjaw Davis on tenor, and Eddie Lockjaw Davis and Ella got up and did a, a, a duel where she scattered and he played the saxophone, and at one point in the show, she sang the Sanford and Some theme song, but there's no words to it, so she went, like that oh fuck yeah she did and then at the end come on Sanford go Fred Sanford it was fucking awesome um, I also saw Pearl Bailey if anyone remembers Pearl Bailey yeah when I was a little kid man with Louis Belson and then years later my wife and I were at James Brown's show at the Hollywood Bowl and it was uh, maybe three months before exactly before he passed away and Louis Belson came out and did a giant drum solo. He must be 80-something years old in a full suit and tie with cufflinks and a fucking cravat. Oh, it's really good. But I saw Louis Belson play with Pro Bailey because he was married to Pro Bailey. And uh, Pro Bailey was really funny and really, really engaging on stage. And she did a bit about having a heart attack and the paramedics grabbing her. And he, she goes, there was fumbling around on my chest. And at my age, honey, I know the difference between a feel and a fumble. <laughs> and Nixon had made her ambassador of love Oh, yeah, he did. Ambassador of love. That's a ceremonial post. You notice George W. Bush didn't make anyone ambassador of love because they would have had to shake Dick Cheney's hand and therefore face their heart exploding. But she was ambassador of love and she goes, I've been to the White House so often and I hope you guys don't mind tonight. I'm just going to call it the house from now on. And all night long, she kept going, well, you know what? I was up at the house, and it was the fucking funniest thing, man. Uh, and I also saw Jimmy Durante when I was really little. I was maybe seven years old. Jimmy Durante was about 60, 68, and he had showgirls in the act, and a guy did a cakewalk. A cakewalk. A fucking cakewalk. Man. <laughs> fucking cakewalk. That's vaudeville. Uh, I also saw the Mills Brothers and the Step Brothers. Ooh, yeah. I fucking did, man. And the Mills Brothers did a number without instruments. They just sang it like they were playing because the Mills Brothers on a bunch of their records did their own instrumentation. They didn't have a band. They would just go like that. Yeah, everybody's looking at me like I was born in 1855 and shit. When I saw Stephen Foster, people were yelling, I dream of Jeannie with the light brown hair and he's like, fuck you, I've done that one too many times. Which one of you motherfuckers wants to hear Camp Town Races? Gwine a run all night, Gwine a run all day. <laughs> yeah, you pretended to watch 12 Years a Slave, then you know what fucking Camptown Races is and shit. 
I bet my money on a bobtailed nag. Somebody bet on the bay. Um, <clears throat> but those are some of the people I saw when I was little. I saw Bob Hope. I'm so glad I saw him. Uh, I told you the opening joke. It's so nice to be here in the gay, I mean, Bay Area. Uh, fucking awesome beyond measure. I never saw a young man, but I wished I'd seen him. But I met Bill Dana, and that was cool. Bill Dana was Jose Jimenez, which was a, a, amazingly... How do I put this uh, gently? A, a character we would no longer accept. Every single opening line to every single Jose Jimenez gag went like this. Excuse me, sir, can we speak to you for a moment? What's your name? My name is Jose Jimenez. I had Surfing Jose on 45. It had hot, uh, surfing jokes on it. That was the year when surfing jokes were hot shit in those days. Jan and Dean and whatnot. I got a thing for the new girl in school. The guys are flipping, but I'm playing it cool. Oh, papa, 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 do on the ronde, do on the ronde. Yeah, that was a surfer dance. You'll see Mike Love do that on Beach Boys videos. Mike Love, who might be the uncoolest lead singer in the history of lead singers. Uh, in any case, they wrote me and they said, who did you not see? Well, Ray Stewart wrote me and Ray Stewart said, uh, as always, I love today's thank you. I didn't miss the audience at all. It seemed very intimate. Uh, well, when you were listing the artists you regretted missing, you evoked fond memories of the people I had the opportunity of seeing in my lifetime. I'll be 82 in April. And I have enjoyed a long but undistinguished acting career. <laughs> Uh, the greatest regret along these lines was when a girl in my acting class at the neighborhood playhouse suggested I go to the Bonsoir in the village to hear a friend of hers sing. I didn't. Her friend was Barbara Streisand. Oh. And then he wrote, Ack, A-A-K-K-K-K, exclamation point. I'm leaving that exclamation point. Fucking A. I've never seen Barbara Streisand live either, but I've watched her on TV recently and it was good. Although now she kind of looks like it's, it's like, Taylor's all this time. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, at one point, she brought her son out. I've talked about this on the show. And at the end of the number with her son, her son went, are you okay? Do you need anything? On stage. Like, you want some brisket or something? You all right? We're going we're gonna to have matzo brai after or whatever. Do you think James ever has to deal with that shit? James Brolin? With Barbara and shit? Barbara. I'm gonna make some matzo brai. <laughs> and she's like, I'm off the carbs. <laughs> Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. <laughs> Fucking A. Uh, so he didn't go see Barbara at the Bonsoir. But, you know, we always forget those. You know, like, I remember I saw Michael Richards uh, at the comedy store, or the improv, I think, in 82. Oh, I mean, he was already famous by then, I guess. I'd like to say I saw someone famous before they were famous, but I can't think of anyone that I really good. Romeo Void, does that count? I don't think so. That doesn't carry the weight that it used to. I could name a lot of San Francisco punk bands and shit, but that, that's not really going to win the crowd. Win the crowd, Spaniard. And you'll win your freedom. You knew the emperor? I didn't say I knew him. I said he gave me my freedom, boy. <laughs> However, I did follow another friend's advice and went to a small club to hear a then-unknown comedy team called Nichols and May. And after that, he wrote, yay. 
Here are some of the old timers I got to see live. And this is my favorite part of the letter from Ray Stewart, or as you're known on IMDb, Ray Stewart II. In parentheses, eat your heart out, he wrote. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and I did, and I do. And that's why I'm going to read these. Xavier Cougat Orchestra. Yeah. Fucking A, baby. Uh, Xavier Cougat was a mambo king. And then later, when he was quite old, married Charo. And I did a show last year uh, uh, with Charo. Um, Sam from KTLA uh, does a little cable show. And Charo was on it, and I got to meet her. And it was awesome. It was really awesome. And if you don't know, Charo is a superb classical guitar player for no reason. But Xavier Cougat was quite old when he married her. And that's when she was the uh, Sofia Vergera of 1968 or whatever. You know, it was all boom, 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 come, come, you know. Uh, yeah, coochie, coochie. She was Latin, and that's what she was selling. And she would go on Merv Grevin, and she'd go, Merv, and Merv, and Merv. And I'd go, no, 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 no. It was, it, was, it was awesome. It was awesome. And then every once in a while, they'd give her a guitar, and she'd be like, bum, like Segovia. And you'd be like, oh, fuck. You got talent, girl. Although I've never said that to anyone in my life. I can't believe I actually said it just now. I've never called anyone girl. I, I think it's hilarious what people do. Uh, Desi Arnaz, the year he married Lucy. That's unfathomable. Wow. Uh, Sally Rand. Sally Rand was a, a, what we would call a, a fan dancer. Uh, exactly. Uh, Ray Charles, who I wished I'd seen at the palace. Judy. Yeah, I know, right? Well, Judy died when I was nine, so I think I'm off the hook on that one. But I wished I'd seen uh, uh, Lies Alive, and I didn't. But I'm going to go back one step here and talk about the last show, because Mark Crowley, um, uh, we have a, a very good friend of the show named Alex who uh, tapes our shows when we're in New York City. And uh, Alex um, was excited because... Uh, Mark Crowley was there and Mark Crowley was telling these stories about being best friends with Natalie Wood and this and that. Well, somehow Liza Minnelli came up because the fabulous Lipsinka was there. And when you have uh, the fabulous Lipsinka and Mark Crowley, by God, Liza's going to get mentioned at some point. And as you know, I'm not gay and I make no case for it. I had the eight track of Liza with a Z when I was a child. And <laughs> I happen to love the movie Cabaret and think it was one of her greatest roles and possibly one of the darkest of all movies to win uh, uh, an Academy Award and good for uh, Ray Fossey. Uh, Bob Fosse, good for Ray Fosse, the catcher for the Cleveland Indians, <laughs> who was bowled over by Pete Rose. Sorry, Judy, because some sports got in the show. <laughs> Ray, Ray Fosse was also a longtime announcer for the Oakland Athletics. The, the, the point is this. Uh, Bob Fosse uh, directed that and Bob Fosse also I believe directed Lies with a Z or if he didn't he helped put it together in any case uh, Lies with a Z was this fabulous show that Liza did and Mark Crowley said he was at the taping of Lies with a Z in New York City and he was in the second row and ahead of him sitting in front of him Harold Arlen with Kay Thompson who's Harold Arlen Harold Arlen wrote a song that goes like this somewhere over the rainbow oh fuck yeah he did my mama done told me <clears throat> when I was in pigtails <coughs> Don't know why, ain't no sun up in the sky, stormy weather. Harold Arlen wrote <coughs> everything. And he wrote The Wizard of Oz with Yip Harburg. So, to take you back, <coughs> excuse me, to the day, that excited me beyond measure, knowing that Mark Crowley was at a show that Harold Arlen was at, because I'm a huge fan of Harold Arlen. <coughs> excuse me. Are you going to make it through the show? I don't think so, you guys. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make it through this list. <coughs> Excuse me. 
in any case, uh, Judy uh, gave birth to Liza, and then Liza was at that show, and Harold Autumn was there, and Kay Thompson was sitting next to her, and Kay Thompson uh, was instrumental in Judy's career as well. And if you ever seen the movie Funny Face, Kay Thompson actually appears in the movie Funny Face, and she plays sort of a Diana Vreeland character in that, and they find Audrey Hepburn in a store, and oh my God, you're beautiful. <coughs> I love Hollywood movies where they find Hollywood stars. But they're not beautiful until you find them. And then all of a sudden, my God, you're Audrey Hepburn. How do we not know you were charismatic and slender? <laughs> I'd like to do my impression of uh, Audrey Hepburn singing in the movie Funny Face. Uh, Kay Thompson's brassy, and Kay Thompson sings uh, really loud and shit. I want to wander down the Chandelier. Right? Like she's like Ethel Mermany, you know. Uh, Audrey Hepburn uh, sings a song and uh, uh, they want to be in Paris and whatever and she goes um, I want to be what is it? Then the down the thinking man like Jean-Paul Sartre <laughs> Yeah I want to philosophize with all the guys down in my mantra and my panace <laughs> And then Fred Astaire. There's something missing. Oh, it's, it's a lovely movie. The second half of it really falls apart, let's be honest. But the first fucking hour of Fanny Face is beyond beyond. And Richard Avedon does all the photography in the movie, so it's totally worth watching for that. Yeah, it's a fabulous uh, fashion picture. And then she runs down past the winged victory of Samothrace in, in the Louvre, and she's got this red dress on. And I'll do Audrey Hepburn's line reading again. Fred Astaire goes, stop, stop. And she goes, take the picture. <laughs> If you're that cute, you can get away with delivering your lines like that. You can go, take the picture. And no one goes, what? Cut. <laughs> I will philosophize with all the guys. What key is that in? <laughs> Down in my mata. I love Audrey Hepburn. People were mad that I left her off my bombshell team. Uh, because, but the bombshell team's for bombshells. Yeah, yeah. Audrey Hepburn's fabulous. She's sexy and she's uh, intelligent and she's amazing and she's survived World War II and there's nothing. Uh, she's the most charitable woman that you could ever imagine. She was the Angelina Jolie of then. But bombshell? No, 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 no. Claudia Carter now lands on your town and your town explodes. <laughs> I mean, you know, right on Amy Adams and shit. You got a wise, you got a ways to go to your fucking bombshell. You know what I'm saying? Raquel Welch came to your town and people's hats shot off their heads. Ahuga, <laughs> ahuga. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, fucking skinny ass fucking actresses and shit. I, I'm talking about when an actress appears on the screen and it's like Guernica. There's a horse screaming, you know. That's what a bombshell is. There's not a lot of them now, you guys. There's not a lot. That's why Sophia Vergara is so popular and shit on TV. She's a fucking proper bombshell, you know. A little silly, but a proper bombshell. I mean, you know, you really, you, like a bombshell means like, what did, what did, uh, Raymond Chandler say she could make a bishop kick out a stained glass window <laughs> I will philosophize with all the guys 
And then you've seen you've seen uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's Moon River. And the reason they wrote Moon River that way was for her because of her range, right? She plays the little guitar. Henry Mancini wrote it for us. So, Wider than a mile, I'm crossing you in style. You dream maker, you heartbreaker. Wherever you're going, I'm going your way. It went back down. Because a real songwriter would have gone, wherever you're going, I'm going, you know, right? With Audrey Hepburn, wherever you're going, I'm going back down here. <laughs> Johnny Mercer. Johnny Mercer's unstoppable. That's just unstoppable. Uh, Spike Jones. Spike Jones. Yeah. yeah. Ask some exquisite rendezvous. <laughs> Spike Jones had a giant orchestra and uh, um, the City Slickers. Um, they did uh, classical music and they'd make, you know, they'd like t- take the piss. It was sort of like the weird Al Yankovic of the 40s and 50s and shit like that. And uh, on the stage with his giant full orchestra of, uh, 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 you know, jazz band and whatnot. Uh, and they would like they would take a song like Cocktails for Two or whatever, or a really romantic song and jazz it up and make it funny and shit. A woman sat on the bandstand and knitted through the whole show. That's fucking funny. And totally conceptual, right? She sat and knitted. A woman sat, was in the act and sat and knitted through the whole show. Every fucking show. I can't think of anything as funny except as when I saw Jerry Lewis with my wife years ago. And he was doing a gag from 1947. I'm sure it was from Martin and Lewis. Uh, He had a big orchestra on stage, maybe 25 pieces, right? And he goes, hey, this is a terrific crowd we've got here tonight, huh? Hey, fellas, you remember that crowd we had here last night? And the whole band, as one went, no. (laughs) That was fucking funny. (laughs) The whole band, no. Uh, Bob Hope with Les Brown and Marilyn Maxwell at UT Austin. Tommy Dorsey. Uh, Tommy Dorsey's brother also had a big band Jimmy Dorsey uh, Les Brown met Benny Goodman at the Ambassador Hotel the King of Swing uh, as they called him Uh, Johnny Cash backstage at the Fantastics now that had to be weird what'd you think of the show? well I thought it was terrific normally I like more Sondheim but uh... (laughs) Johnny Cash was at the Fantastics? Lenny Bruce at the Village Vanguard. Yeah, but I've met a few people who... I never saw Lenny Bruce, but I knew several people who... Uh, Clement Freud, who was uh, Sigmund Freud's grandson uh, and the brother of the painter Lucian Freud, was a comedian, raconteur, wit, wag, and a radio personality in London. And I had the opportunity to do many radio shows with him, and he was a lovely individual. And uh, in the 60s, he's come on Johnny Carson when he was on New York and whatnot. And Clement looked dead like Sigmund, but bigger and... Uh, and spoke like this. And I said, what was it like uh, meeting Lenny Bruce? And he went, I brought Lenny Bruce over to my club in London in 1963. I said, what was Lenny Bruce like? He went, he was often very high. (laughs) I said, was he funny? And he went, oh, yeah. (laughs) And when Clement Freud would laugh, he'd go... Like Muttley, fantastic. He, he'd tell a joke, and then he'd laugh at his own joke. <laughs> he was really a lovely person, Clement Freud was. Uh, uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, Ethel Merman and Gypsy, wow. I like to it, mama is gonna see to it. Curtain up, light the lights. You've got nothing, speaking of Sondheim, did anyone see that fucking Sondheim documentary on HBO? Did I talk about that on the show? Holy shit. That was hair-raising. 
I mean, he's an amazingly talented individual, but wow, what he said about his mother. His mother just did not like him. No, his mother detested him. His mother detested him, and he's that. He's Stephen Sondheim. He's mildly talented. And he fucking wrote, he wrote all the lyrics to Gypsy, and Julie Stein wrote the music, and he wrote all the lyrics to West Side Story. And this is before he was Stephen Sondheim. Right, that's how amazing Stephen Sondheim is. But he knew all those people. And uh, then he wrote that, uh, w w what's that weird play about all the couples breaking up, and he'd never been in a, you know. Company. Company. Company, and they show that. It's really good. If you get a chance to see that Sondheim thing, it's amazing. Because uh, he's a giant of, of American uh, musical theater. The Lunch and Quadrille with Brian Ahern. That's fantastic. Uh, Sinatra with Count Basie at Forest Hills. Well, I saw wow. Count Basie. I know. Sinatra with Count Basie. Because then it's a fight to see who can do less. The, uh, there's, there's two Sinatra Basie albums, and they're really good. And like, you listen to Sinatra album, the Nelson Riddle ones, the Billy May ones, any of the ones you can think of, Don Costa. And they're beautifully arranged and, and really saucy. Uh, um, but the Basie ones are great because Basie refuses to play any notes. Like, we're not even going to play the song. We're just going to intimate there's a song being played here and shit. <laughs> like, anyone else would put a, like, if it's Art Tatum or whatever, they're going to put a million notes in. Fucking Count Basie goes, um, um, um. like, that's it, right? That's all you're getting. So it'll be like, this is my first affair. So, ba -da 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 -da. Please be kind. When, okay, when are we going to get to the song? Like, how late can you wait to say the fucking lyrics is the question. And then it's really swinging. -da -da -da, -da -da -da. And then you hear, bink. And you're like, oh, welcome to the show. You're here, Count Basie. Yeah, I am. I just don't want to fill it up with a lot of notes and shit. Handle my heart with care. So, ba -na 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 -na. Please be kind. That, that one's really good. Uh, and he does a... Uh, Every time it rains, it rains. Pennies from heaven. You're like, are you going to do this or what? Are you going to do the whole song at once? Or are you just going to do parts of the song? Don't you know each cloud contains... <laughs> You'll find your fortune falling. George Shearing, uh, George Shearing, Mary Martin, and Peter Pan. Fantastic. The original cast of My Fair Lady. I saw Rex Harrison do My Fair Lady in the 80s uh, with a very inferior cast, except Milo O'Shea played uh, uh, Mr. Doolittle, and it was quite good. Can you imagine the original cast? That would be uh, uh, Julie Andrews. And Julie Andrews is a superb musical comedy star. Uh, she didn't do the movie. And then instead, uh, they put Audrey Hepburn in the movie with George Cukor. So uh, uh, Julie Andrews did Mary Poppins instead and won the fucking Oscar. Yeah. So that'll show you, uh, Mr. Man. The original cast of West Side Story, that had to be amazing. Uh, Carmen McRae. Uh, now, I wish I'd seen Carmen McRae. Uh, Liza at the Waldorf. Uh, Tennessee Williams backstage at Sweet Bird of Youth. One can but imagine. Uh, what Tennessee Williams was like. He's supposed to be the funniest person in the world. Jimmy Stewart backstage at Harvey. That's awesome. So I'm presuming, uh, Mr. Stewart, that you saw Jimmy Stewart do Harvey or was he at another version of Harvey? <laughs> oh, oh uh, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't like the fellow who plays. <laughs> the fellow who played Alma wasn't. Didn't do it for me. D didn't, didn't float my boat. Gore Vidal backstage at the Rocky Horror Show. Oh. 
Yeah, exactly. So few details. Where, when, in what state of undress, in what state of inebriation. Was it Tim Curry? Were they together? Were there's, was there kneeling? Did, what happened? What happened? What happened? Ray Stewart II, what happened? Ray Stewart II. <clears throat> That's so awesome. Uh, Rocky Horror Show. You say Rocky Horror Show. Do you mean the Rocky Horror Live stage show? I presume you do, since all these other ones are live. Uh, and Tim Curry was in that. I've met Tim Curry once, and I told you he signed my record. I brought his first album, and he wrote, How Do Do I? Uh, on, the, on my album. I couldn't have been more excited. He was so fantastic. And then we saw Gore Vidal once, and I'll tell the story again ever so briefly because he passed away over a year ago. Uh, my wife and I went to see him at a rich liberal party out in Malibu. Uh, or was it Malibu? Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. And um, they brought Gore Vidal out in a wheelchair. He was, he was quite old at that point. And um, he talked about the Constitution, and he talked about this, and he talked about that. And then he goes, when I was a congressional page, I used to blow congressmen in the cloakroom. <laughs> That zested up the crowd. <laughs> all the rich liberals were like... And I was like, he waited all night to say that. His grandfather was a congressman in the 30s, and he used to fillet congressmen in the cloakroom, at, in the congressional cloakroom. And I thought, that's a fucking good story. You don't hear that one often. <clears throat> you never hear Cheney tell that one. <laughs> when I was fucking over the country... <laughs> Sometimes I'd be getting fisted by Donald Rumsfeld when we we're, we're Condoleezza Rice would be watching on playing a harmonica and she'd be rooting us on there and she'd go, Come on, Donald and then anyway, good times, good times. I'd think about Union Carbide and all the money they were making and uh, this is my first affair, so please be kind. Handle my heart with care. Catherine Hepburn backstage at Lincoln Center. I don't know what that means. Uh, I assume she was at Lincoln Center. Maybe she was performing. Maybe she was just backstage. Now, uh, anyway, it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I can't wait to hear your Moose and Frank's gig. Thank you. And thank you for the memory of the superb martinis, which I duplicate and triplicate every night of the week. Thank you, Ray Stewart II, uh, for sending me that letter. It was absolutely fabulous. Uh, and I really appreciate you sending me that. And please send us more details. The crowd wants to know, why was Jimmy Stewart backstage at Harvey? What was Jimmy Tennessee Williams like at Sweet Bird of Youth? And what the fuck was Gore Vidal doing at the Rocky Horror Show? Yeah. Uh, let's get into the Oscars and then we're going to go home. Uh, the Oscars were, they were fun this year. First of all, Worthy Pictures won, which was nice. It was nice. We all knew it was going to win before we even watched the bloody show. There was no question that 12 Years a Slave was going to win. They weren't going to make the same mistake. Imagine 12 Years a Slave being nominated for Best Picture this year and they give it to fucking Gravity. You know what I'm saying? It would have been sad and scary. There's so many Oscar years where it's a giant corporate party and you might as well be at a meeting with a bunch of producers because that's what it feels like when you're there. The year that Crash won might have been the most horrible. You, you were just watching it going like, oh, God, th this is 500 dueling producers. It has nothing to do with movies because, you know, you ever notice uh, during an Oscar program, at least a thousand times in the first hour, someone will come out and go, Movies are the art of imagination. Movies are a distraction from our everyday lives. Movies are magic placed upon the cell. They keep repeating what movies are as if we don't know. We're watching the show because we like movies. 
You don't watch the Oscars because you're like, what the fuck are these? What, what is these fictionalizations that they do that are splashed so evocatively and so much money and effort are spent? We like movies. That's why we watch them. You don't have to keep telling us it's the art of imagination a thousand times. At its best, commercial filmmaking is the art of imagination. At its worst, it's Shakespeare in love or the second fucking Lord of the Rings movie winning best picture. There's been some... I can even understand when Titanic or Last Emperor or a movie like that wins because it's a big showy blockbuster and everybody went to see it. Those are the kind of movies you're like, okay, everybody fucking saw it. I get it. When Forrest Gump wins... How are you supposed to look in the mirror 10 years from now and shit? I mean, just think about the plot of Forrest Gump. Um, uh, George W. Bush has no intelligence. You know what I mean? Like, that was what the plot of the movie was. If you're an idiot, and by the way, if anyone's ever read the book of Forrest Gump, it's not life is a box of chocolates. The line from the book is being an idiot is no box of chocolates. So he's aware of his condition that he's not that bright and then everyone thinks he's a ding dong. And in the movie, they built it up into this thing where like, oh, look, he's playing ping pong with the Chinese. He's with Nixon. It's crazy. And if you remember in the movie, his wife, whom he loves, sleeps around so much that she dies of AIDS. And there's no answer to that in the movie at all. For me, that movie was like, why don't you just put Reagan's picture on the screen for an hour and we can all pretend it's 1984 and have the two minutes hate and shit like that. <laughs> I really think it's an odious fucking film. I'm sorry if you liked it, but if you liked it, and this is one of those moments where you disagree with me, I need you to look deep into your heart. <laughs> it wasn't that good. And also, it meant back-to-back -back Oscars for Tom Hanks. Now, Philadelphia, I get it. The speech he gave when he won for Philadelphia was absolutely magnificent, like Jared Leto's speech this year, because he talked about the martyrs, because everyone who died of AIDS in this country for 20 years was a martyr, a martyr to the fact that there was no research done, to the fact that Reagan and, and Herbert Walker refused to believe that AIDS was an epidemic in this country, to the fact that it was happening to gay men largely, and that's why they didn't give a fucking shit about it, or all the people that died. It was a giant holocaust that happened in our country's memory and that the best and brightest of an entire generation of people, of writers, actors, authors, uh, uh, designers, whomever you can think of, um, uh, 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 and all the people. I'm from the Bay Area, so it's a very serious issue for me. And I don't dig it um, when people play it lightly. Hollywood hates to deal with actual serious topics. Hollywood likes to deal with movies like Crash where, oh, uh, it, it's awkward when, you know, black people aren't comfortable. That, that to them is an issue and shit like that. Um, the Color Purple, it was pointed out, had 13 nominations and won zero fucking awards because they just couldn't pull the fucking trigger on it. Everyone who votes in the Academy is 7,000 fucking years old. If only Ray Stewart II was voting. Uh, but this year, it seemed like it was better. Um, 12 Years a Slave won. It deserved it. Steve McQueen, who helped produce and direct that movie, uh, is a British black man, not an African-American, as so many American papers referred to him as, because American papers can spend exactly no time Googling something on their phone that's in their pocket. Um, that's a first. Um, the man who uh, was best director, uh, Alfonso Cuaron, who directed The Extraordinary Children of Men several years ago, uh, and uh, Imama... Uh, I'm not going to get it wrong. Uh, Isu... Isu Mama Tambien, he also directed, is Mexican, was born in Mexico. He lives in London, but he was born in Mexico. Is he the first Mexican director? 
to ever get an Oscar? No one said a fucking thing about that. Uh, Lupita, who was also born in Mexico, but is uh, largely Nigerian, uh, a, a black woman. How often do we give black women Oscars? That would be four times, three times? Never. So I thought it was kind of groovy in that way. Jared Leto uh, was in a rock band that no one's ever seen for the last four years and won an Oscar for playing a transgender person. So progress gets made uh, bit by bit by bit. I really felt like it felt more like a clubhouse party this time than the giant corporate banquet it usually is. However, they could speed the show up a little bit. Does it really have to be eight and a half hours long before they give out any of the big fucking awards and shit like that? Uh... But I, I thought I, I was I was on board for a good deal of it. Um, yeah, there was selfies and shit like that. I couldn't help but wonder if Ellen was getting money from Samsung. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a, it wasn't an iPhone. It was this big, obvious fucking smartphone thing that she kept cracking out every two seconds. And it was like, dude, you know what day and age we live in. This isn't the old days where someone took out a brownie and went everybody squeezed together. Brownies were cameras. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I was glad for the people that won. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's speech could have been better, but what the fuck? We're in the middle of a reconnaissance now. My wife... <laughs> I've been sick the last two days at home, and we've been watching Magic Mike over and over on cable. Just to ground ourselves. Because True Detective is so awesome and Killer Joe was pretty wild, albeit gross, and, and uh, Mud was fantastic. Uh, I didn't see Lincoln Lawyer. That's the one I'm missing from the reconnaissance. But uh, I did see Dallas Buyers Club and he's superb in it and it's quite a good picture. Made for no fucking money and for that I loved it. But uh, 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 I, I walk in yesterday and my wife has fr uh, freeze-framed on Matthew McConaughey's ass in that one scene. <laughs> Fucking magic, Mike. Wow. I'd like to ask a question about Matthew McConaughey's character in that movie. Is he supposed to be having a good time? Or is he just the most miserable person that ever owned a strip club that ever lived? What movie is he in? He's in another movie entirely. That's what it, Like, he's Channing Tatum's being like, hey, all right, yeah, okay. And then the other guy, the guy with, you know, the wispy beard who has a four-way, he kind of walks around the movie like he's on, you know, kind of half in the bag. And then there's the uh, the woman who looks like Piper Parabu's cousin or whatever. But fucking Matthew McConaughey's in another movie. They they go to a beach party in the movie Math, uh, Magic Mike, a sandbar party, and they're drinking and shit. And Matthew McConaughey's talking about Ameritrade and shit like that. I didn't get it at all. It was it was awesome. That's all I have to say. When you, I've never been to a male strip club, but if I were to go, I would expect there to be more levity. Women generally have a good time when they watch men strip. Men watch women strip like they're at the fucking meat counter at the fucking, yeah. I'm going to go to the bathroom, excuse me. That's what men watch stripping like. Women are like, Woo! And it's not, it's not fun for men. It's serious fucking business. Our, our penis is so precious. Don't insult it. 
Here's what I was thinking about, and then we're going to go. Um, well, all right, two quick things, and then we'll go back to that, and then we'll go. Uh, Alain Resnay uh, passed away, the French filmmaker. He was quite old. Uh, he made Last Year at Marion Bad, possibly the most pretentious French movie of all time, if you have a chance to see it. Uh, uh, but there's a very good article from The New Yorker, and I'll suggest you read that. Uh, he made Night and Fog which is a 1955 documentary to sum it up almost obscenely is about the Nazi concentration camps. It was commissioned as an explicit work of commemoration. This is written by Richard Brody, a compilation of archival footage. But Resnay also shot original footage of the sites uh, of the concentration camps a decade after their liberation. These images begin and end the film and punctuate it throughout and have a harsh, double dramatic impact by establishing the present tense of the filmmaker and the viewer alike. They set the archival images in a receding past that is constant and ever deeper in need of active rediscovery. There's very few filmmakers who uh, work the idea of memory and what memory is uh, like he did. And he is in heaven uh, tonight, swirling around up in the stars. Harold Ramis passed away, and I took it a little bit hard. Uh, Harold Ramis did some things that I think are uh, irrefutable. First of all, I'm not down with the message of Ghostbusters and Caddyshack and shit. I found them a bit Reaganistic, even at the time, and I'm old enough to have seen those movies in the movie theater. I prefer Stripes, which yeah. is a little more, uh, yeah. which is all the way kooky and has the, that's a fact, Jack, and what do they do? The boom shakalaka laka, boom shakalaka. Stripes is fucking funny. You're a lean. Dude, what does he say? When you talked about having sex with the cow, I want to party with you, cowboy. Uh, <laughs> Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. And when I do, it's usually something exciting. Um, that movie's fucking funny. And, 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 he, and he wrote and directed a Groundhog Day, which I think is one of the great uh, films uh, in American comedy history. It's up there. It's really a superb American comedy film, like Rushmore or uh, um, uh, Bringing Up Baby. That I can think of a few American comedy films that really stand the test. And, uh, and Groundhog Day is one. And here's the other thing I always loved about Harold Ramis. One, he seemed like an absolutely gorgeous individual, really lovely person. Was aware when he, when he came up and was in Second City and shit that he was on stage with John Belushi and that he wasn't going to be able to compete with John Belushi. So he went another way. Secondly, he was never on Saturday Night Live and he never wrote for Saturday Night Live. Instead, he was the head writer for SCTV. Yeah. And I loved yeah. SCTV. Yes. You can say what you want. Saturday Night Live is, is what it is. It's an institution. SCTV, for my money, was way funnier. When I was a teenager, I enjoyed it a lot more. And Harold Ramis had a, a giant hand in that. And I think that Catherine O'Hara, Marty Short, John Candy, uh, and, Andrea Martin, uh, uh, Rick Moranis, and Dave Thomas were uh, as well as uh, Tony Morello and Robin Duke and Harold Ramis was on the show as well, were a superb uh, comedy ensemble. And I really, really loved that show. And uh, Harold, they can't really... I took it pretty hard when he died. I, we were in New York City and I, I really bummed out that night um, because I just thought he was... There's not a lot of lovely people uh, that are comedy writers. Oh, there are, but he was one of them. He was one of nature's gentlemen, and um, he's swirling around. Uh, uh, you know what he is? He's a giant baby Ruth in the pool up in heaven. Uh, Harold Ramis was a lovely individual, and he deserved to live forever. Uh, here's some people who never won an Oscar, just so you can consider it. When your favorites don't win the Oscar, uh, Samuel Jackson's never won an Oscar. John Travolta never won an Oscar. Alfred Hitchcock, Howard Hawks, Deborah Kerr, Bill Murray, Lee Ullman, Rosalind Russell, Angela Bassett, Marilyn Monroe, Glenn Close, Peter O'Toole, Viola Davis, Barbara Streisand, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Sidney Lumet, and Stanley Kubrick. So, yeah. So, as far as representing what's good in film, eh, kind of. It's more like a TV show about movies that happens once a year and sometimes people win that you like. 
Uh, I like watching all the pre-Oscar stuff because they showed like uh, on CNN they had a show and they were showing all the old Oscars and they showed Rita Moreno winning and Rock Hudson gives her her Oscar and we hope so much more. Uh, there have been some really cool winners and I was thinking about the shortest speeches and my favorite one was uh, well Joe Pesci when he won went thank you. But you may not remember when Ben Johnson won for Best Supporting Actor for uh, a Peter Bogdanovich picture called The Last Picture Show. And Ben Johnson had been in a thousand cowboy movies. Ben Johnson got up and went, you couldn't have given it to a nicer guy. <laughs> this has been The Smartest Man in the World. You have been The Smartest Man in the World. Thank you very much for coming out. I've had a good time. I hope you have too. For every page that you turn to, it's not your page. For every bell that we speak, you have a cool pop of bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds.